the Michigan three-point shooter, Luke Hancock, and he's done it to the tune of trying to get his team on the lead. And up ahead, Deceiver. Oh. And that time by Harrell, and just like that, in the blink of an eye, Louisville comes from 12 down to take the lead. Hello, and welcome to another episode of What High School Did You Go To? I'm Gabe DeVerge. I'm Chris Hatfield. How are you doing, Gabe? It seems like it's been a little while since we talked. There's been like yeah, a hole been in a- my heart. So I know. we. Uh, it's the sickness we were just talking before we started. The sicknesses are going around. Uh, my little man uh, had our first hospital scare, which was good fun. Uh, everything's all good. He just had a cold. And uh, when babies get cold, it's not very fun. Uh, so, yeah, that was, uh, that was my end of last week. And it's kind of just rolled into this week and just survive in this like weird Louisville climate of up and down per year. Yeah. It's definitely that, that time of year again, I do have like this random ass question as I tend to do off the bat for you. Um, I've had this thing that I was trying to think of because there's a lot going on in like the pro sports world. That's really been bugging me um, for obvious reasons because I'm a Lakers fan and (laughs) there's a lot of things going on with that. But my question is, and it doesn't have to be sports related. It's just anything. The first thing that pops into your head, what has annoyed you the most this week? What kind of story? What anything? I mean, it could be the Knicks if you wanted it to be. I don't know if it's that or not, but is there anything that immediately comes to mind? Um, it's not so much been the Knicks. Honest, I mean, yeah, as a Lake, as a, you're a Lakers guy, but I do think I've always felt like the, and I'm a like, I love LeBron. I just, I, I, I want to preface this by saying I love LeBron. I love, I've always rooted for him because I just like watching greatness. I'm just a fan of greatness as much as I hate the, the, the Golden State Warriors. I, um, I don't know. I've just always been an individual performance fan of, of LeBron, not to be a typical millennial who just roots for players and not teams. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the annoying thing to me is, has been just the the ter- the quote unquote turmoil in the Lakers. Like it's not something that we expected, you know? Right. Like, yeah, no, I mean, yeah, he's he, he said three seats on the bench away from all of his teammates last night and was basically like, you know, this 30 point loss is on you guys, not me. Um, and like, listen, like I, I, I just, we knew this was going to happen. We yeah. knew that he was, we knew that this is, the, this is LeBron's MO, like for better, for worse, he comes to a team and then he becomes GM LeBron and he's ready to move dudes. He's ready to make changes and it works. It worked in Cleveland. So I just like, and then we have ridiculous stuff like, uh, like the good man, the good man from FS one, uh, um, Jason Woodlock saying, uh, LeBron oh, James Lord. is a single LeBron James is the only child. That's why he acts the way he does. And you just get ridiculous things like that. And listen, we live in a golden age of takes and like where ridiculous takes just can become something much bigger than it deserve to be. But I do think that the crazy LeBron like microscope, what, what did the three, what did the three chairs mean? You know, yeah. I just like, we know we're acting like we didn't know this was going to happen, you know? Yeah, it was was always going to happen. That doesn't like annoy me as much because I knew there would be some type of theater with LeBron and, you know, L.A. What annoys me a little bit more is that Magic Johnson kind of gets a pass for everything because he's Magic Johnson. Um, (laughs) A a lot of people don't talk about like the the Paul George situation, how they could have traded for him. But they decided to, you know, wait out free agency because they thought 
you know, he's going to come to LA because, you know, we're freaking LA and, and yeah. it, it's little things like that. And I kind of see it happening again with the whole Anthony Davis situation. Um, and that, that really does tend to bug me. So, which it just, I mean, I was, you know, checking, checking some of the tweets before we hopped on and it does seem like it's almost uh, Brian Windhorst almost like kind of suggested that this whole, you know, are the are the Pelicans going to respond to the to Magic's trade request thing? Is almost like a manufactured diss, is right. what Wendy is kind of suggesting. Which is, I don't, I honestly don't trust front office people in any sport to be that smart. I just we've seen it. We've seen people do way too many dumb things. I'm a Knicks fan, you know. Come on, like there's not enough smart people in sports, honestly, sure. to, to to manufacture that kind of a uh, level thing. So it's, I don't know, but. Yeah, it's it's the silly season in NBA, and that's kind of what the NBA is is now, which is fun at times, but just sort of gets over the top. And and this is one of those times for me. Yeah, I would like like for something to just happen, materialize, whatever it's going to be. I don't want this. I, I don't really want my my team at the forefront yeah. of you know th- this type of drama. But I can tell you the thing that has annoyed me. If you you, you want to know, go ahead, go ahead. I'm upset with Adam Sandler, man. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a, there's a few reasons for this. So okay. You, okay. you seen the pictures today that Louisville? Yeah, some background media. for people people who haven't. We were, we're recording this Wednesday night, and Adam Sandler showed up at the uh, Wednesday afternoon practice for Louisville basketball. I, my understanding is probably as we're talking. Talking right now, he's on stage at the palace, yeah. um, performing a comedy set. He, uh, Rob Schneider opened up for him, um, which is which is uh, that's fun. I didn't know Rob Schneider. I honestly didn't know Rob Schneider was a stand-up comedian. I thought he's just kind of an, an actor guy. Um, but yeah, no, that's uh, okay. So Adam Sandler shows up to Louisville. What's your what's your take? Yeah. So the first thing is the attire, um, because that style, that that homeless, you know, streetwear type style, he totally jacked that from Shia LaBeouf, and that's my boy. <laughs> and I just really didn't want to see that happen. And I just kind of think that's funny because I haven't seen Adam Sandler really out in public in the last, you know, one to two years, and I didn't know he kind of moved on to kind of that style. So I thought that was noteworthy. No, isn't hasn't he kind of always been that? Like he wears like college See, shirts. I thought he always. I wasn't. Did a, that. I wasn't aware of that. And if I'm speaking, you know, I'm kind of speaking bad. God, I'm looking at a picture of him right now, and it's just uh, the picture of him with the team. And you're right, man. He's wearing like a blue Adidas shorts. Yeah, he's on that one of those zip up hoodies and a gray shirt. And I mm-hmm. and oh my gosh, yeah, that's funny. And secondly. Adam Sandler's a mediocre actor. Yes. <laughs> yes. That, that, but, that's, how, that's how I feel. And like, I just, I just feel like he may be spreading that mediocrity around, you know, I mean, the football pro- program, maybe take that, but um, <laughs> he may be spinning that around the, around the basketball team. And I don't know if we need that. So. I'm a, I'm a, I, you know, well, we could one day look back at this and look at this team before Adam Sandler and after Adam Sandler. <laughs> I mean, February could go that way, man. It's just, um, <laughs> No, with that, I mean, we 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 did want to start off, of course. I, you know, shout to Adam Sandler. I, I'm I, I'm surprised Rob Schneider didn't show up. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Uh, but yeah, so Adam Sandler visiting um, 
the uh, Louisville Cardinals, who uh, started off their their February gauntlet with two interesting results. Uh, first on Saturday, Chris, they lost huge to UNC, basically a flip flop of the game in Chapel Hill. Uh, UNC just dominant from the start. Louisville tried to get back into it, cut the lead down nine at one point late. Couldn't couldn't crawl back. Um, and Chris Mack was upset with how they came out and they, they played. And, you know, he referred back to the toughness thing that we've talked a lot about and he keeps talking about. And they responded. They responded with a win on the road against uh, 11th ranked Virginia Tech. Um, that makes three top 15 wins. That was a gutty win on the road. Just want to say, man, uh, Louisville is now five and one in games after a loss. And honestly, they probably should be six and zero, considering that that one loss is the Marquette game and they had that game one, but the three didn't count as a three. We all remember that. Um, wow. Just like what your initial thoughts of these first two results in February, Chris, and, um, how does it feel to have a team that just responds like that? Cause that, yeah. that just feels good. I mean, yeah, that's that's pretty cool because even with Urbatino coach teams, they would have losing streaks where you're just like, what the hell's going on? Right. And as you stated, like, Louisville's five and one after games after a loss, and that's pretty – I feel like that's maybe the biggest, like, lesson of this whole season, if we learn anything, is that Chris Mack teams are going to respond after a loss. Even if it's not with a win, they're going to show up. Um, but in general terms, I'm still struggling to kind of grasp how good this team – and I think if anyone – tells you that they know how good this team is or the ceiling for this team, they're lying to you. I mean, absolutely. it's just like the North Carolina game. They lost that game. Yes. By eight North Carolina could very well be eight points better than, than Louisville. I don't know that they are, but the team that was on the court during that game, wasn't the team we've seen for the last month. They just, for a lot of reasons, they looked timid. Uh, They looked a little, they looked a lot like they did against Kentucky, to be honest with you. It's one thing for your team to, you know, team to kind of get out, outclassed or however you want to put it. But, they just didn't look right during that game. And and that was really, that was the strangest thing for me. So I think we could kind of start there and just, it was strange to me, I guess. No, it was really strange. And one thing to note, and, and I saw the statistic floating around a little bit, and it's not a little specific one, but, um, and I don't have it in front of me, but I recall that teams, it was some kind of statistic that teams that win games um, by more than 15 points, and then have that second game, they tend right. to lose on an average by an average of eight points, which is what Louisville lost UNC right. by. And I think there was just sort of this difference. And and we talked about it last, last week. Um, that game was for UNC what the Pittsburgh game was for Louisville. Right. Um, UNC has since to, since that that matchup in Chapel Hill been a top 10 team, perhaps a top five team. They have been, they've put up some of their best performances six since then. And it was really, I completely agree with you. It was, it was odd. It was odd to see Louisville. Um, and honestly it's happened. It's, it happened against Kentucky. Louisville just sometimes just gets hit in the mouth, you know, kind of barring from that, that boxing theme. I mean, Louisville just kind of gets hit in the mouth sometimes and they kind of stagger back and they have to take their time to recover. And if they don't recover by halftime, I think is, is, is what I've noticed. And they're going to lose usually. Um, that's what happened against UK. That's what happened against UNC. And and they sort of, sort of recovered against Pittsburgh. Um, but, but they end up losing that one. Um, 
I kind of think that's that's where I am, like parsing like with this team is like they're obviously not one of those teams that's in that elite tire. I think you right. put Duke, Tennessee, maybe Kentucky there at this point. Yeah. And, and you know, you can put Virginia there if you want to. Um, I will remain. <laughs> but I'll keep the verdict out on Virginia until March at this point. Um, yeah. But it's for me deciding on is Louisville a second weekend team at best, or are they one of those teams that can make a sleeper run to, you know, like a final four? Um, because that's really truthfully where I'm at this team. I'm obviously not calling, you know, Louisville to go to the final four. Yeah. I would never do that, but it, you can see the potential of them, you know, getting hot, winning four games, finding matchups and doing that. But that's, that's the thing, them being punched in the mouth first and, and having, you know, kind of a living it, ability to respond is what's what's holding me back i think we we kind of owe a moment to to discuss you know max comments about the whole theme situation yeah. because you i know you brought that up on twitter and i heard a few other people talk about it and i just thought that was interesting as well yeah and i i posted it you know and i didn't really make a comment i can't i mean i guess i kind of did after i get what he was saying i do i do sort of don't think he almost goes a little too far with the comments and maybe he didn't oh, that, that way. That comment annoyed me on its surface. Yeah. And I, and I think I get where he was coming from, but I do, I don't think that that was the prop. I don't think that was why they lost UNC. And a lot of people were responding to that tweet saying, Oh, that definitely is why I would completely, I completely agree with Chris Mack. That's why they lost. Right. No, that's not, that's not why Louisville lost to UNC, you know, spending 30 minutes at a gym and making one, you know, one Instagram post that a person texted them the picture just to make the post and probably gave them the quote so they can copy and paste it. That isn't why they lost to UNC. Yeah. I mean, flat out, if you're going to come and play Louisville basketball and, you know, some, some in-game promotion is going to be a distraction and cause you to lose your game, then you probably shouldn't be wearing a little basketball. Exactly. So, so that that's honestly how I feel about it. But that honestly struck me as more, and you kind of joked, it's like first they close, first they close the locker room, then they close the Twitter account. Right. And it did strike me as a Patino-esque comment. As totally, a, We're going to keep our team separate from the marketing, which I get, that's fine. I mean, a lot of teams do that, you know, you're not, going to see that at Kentucky, you know, you're not going to see that at Duke, but you see that a lot of places in the country around the country where the team, you know, maybe the guy who's showing off the the Jersey for the night is not, there's just a model. It's not like a guy on the team, maybe, you know? Right. Um, so I don't, I don't have a huge problem with that. Cause it's, yeah, I mean, I don't have a problem with it. If Louisville wins games, it's whatever. I do exactly. think someone can make the argument that, you know, if, the players are not able to brand themselves and they're not able to show their personality. Then they're not being prepared for the next level truly because, you know, 25% of the NBA is being able to brand yourself. So if you want to go that route and make that argument, I'm fine with it, but I really don't have a strong opinion on it either way. Yeah. And you know, to, to, to bring it back to the game, it's like, I don't, I, you know, maybe that was a factor, but it just, I, I think Louisville just ran into a UNC team who wanted it more. And right. and then Mac was like, you know, this isn't what we were doing earlier. They they wanted it more. They came in and and they did what you would expect UNC to do. Honestly, given the talent level on the paper on the on, on paper, they 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 bullied us on the boards. Um, 
they were able to knock down shots whenever Louisville was threatening. And uh, like there were, I mean, there were two, I I recall two threes uh, specifically that just were kind of lucky that the bounces just went their way. And there were several times I was, I mean, I was in the M center for the game. There were several times where it's out loud. It's like, it's just not our day. It it wasn't, there were, I think Louisville did, um, did a, few things to try and get back in and the balls just didn't bounce their way. And, um, they, I recall they went, they went, um, they cut the lead to single digits, cut the lead to nine. And there was a, a scrum on the UNC end and UNC tosses up a three just as the, as the shot clock is expiring and it, and it slides right in. And those are the types of shots that have to miss when you're trying to get, make a big comeback, you know, a double digit comeback, right? And they did it. So I don't really, I'm not super, you know, you know, and then they turn around and they do exactly what they need to do at Virginia Tech. Yeah, I was going to so, say, here's, you know, the good and the bad, bad, and we can kind of slab right into Virginia Tech is they didn't put game pressure on North Carolina. Right. But they had game pressure applied to them on the road two or three times against Virginia Tech and they responded they wonderfully. They answered. And that was, and, and, you know, and we've talked several times, Chris, and I, I love saying this. I love seeing this team win basketball games different ways. And mm-hmm. they won that basketball game on Tuesday by being, um, you know, being up from literally a minute into the game to the end wire to wire. Like that's, they never, they never were behind the entire game at Virginia tech. Dude, and those watching- are the types of games that you got to win. Watching Ryan the man ball out when he gets that was out of this so is just so fun. I literally spent like 30 minutes today on my lunch trying to find a really good picture of Dwayne Sutton just flipping the ball to Ryan McMahon <laughs> and then just running to the other side of the court because yeah. the man knew his money. He knew yeah. his money. And I listen, I'm and we've had some conversations about the about, you know, who is going to play the two position on this team, who is going to play that second guard role next to CC. And I think it's, I think we kind of just have to admit at this point, it's going to be a rotating cast. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've seen some good performances from Quan Four. he scored, you know, nine and eight points the last two weeks ago. Um, but sometimes Ryan McMahon is going to be hot. And sometimes he literally isn't going to miss a shot after a bit. And, here's, uh, here's kind of the thing that Louisville has had in their favor almost all season that a lot of teams ha- don't have. Not even uh, Virginia doesn't have this. Not even Duke has this, to be quite frank with you, is they have every time they put four or five guys on the floor, they can all pretty much score. When you have that lineup yeah. of, I mean, McMahon's going to have deficiencies on defense and there's obviously going to be, you know, some issues in different places, but all of them can score. Christian Cunningham, Ryan McMahon, yeah. you know, Jordan Awara, Stephen Enoch, and whoever you want to throw the three, I guess Dwayne right. Sutton. I mean, those, all those guys can score from pretty much anywhere on the court at this point. And that's, that's really, it's a weird thing for Louisville to have, but it separates them from almost any team in the country. Absolutely. And, and we've seen this team win without Jordan or we've seen this team win with Jordan Wara uh, dominating, you know, and who's clearly been the headliner in the team, but it's exactly what you said. You know, Louisville has three players shooting over 35% three in ACC play or Sutton and McMahon. And that's and, and to be able to have different guys step up and 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 just take over games is it's something we don't see that often from Louisville teams. I feel like you know it's not. I mean, outside of the great ones, um, and it's it's definitely a breath of fresh air um, for what we've seen the past few years. 
If you had to to pick a postseason result with this team that they were able to to obtain and you would say, you know, I'm happy with that, what would it be right now? I think right now they're a second weekend team. I, I, I listen, I, I, I would love to argue with you and, you know, have some type of conflict with you, but I think that's, that's the perfect assessment. Uh, sweet 16 they, is, yeah. is kind of the go here. I think there are definitely situations where they don't make the sweet 16. Um, and I wouldn't be, you know, I wouldn't be up in arms about it. Right. Uh, but my expectation at this point is, is sweet 16. I think this is a team, um, that should be able to win the first two games in March. But that's like, you know, sort of what we wanted to talk about, you know, kind of transitioning to our next topic is, um, you know, they can't have, they don't have the luxury in the, in March madness of, of going in and having a clunker in the first game on Friday and then, and then, you know, losing and being able to play, play right. back up to their level of toughness and um, execution on Sunday. So, I mean, Chris, what do you think, what do you think are the things that would kind of prevent Louisville from becoming from getting to the second weekend outside of obviously, you know, matchups and that, that sort of year. Um, I mean, the first thing that pops up for me, it would just be their overall kind of death. Um, Christian Cunningham picks up two quick right. fouls and say Louisville's a five seed and they're playing a 12 seed. Maybe that was, that 12 seeds, Murray State. Christian Cunningham picks up two quick fouls. Wayne Sutton quicks up two two quick fouls. Oddly enough, I would yeah. rather, you know, Jordan O'Hara pick up two quick fouls over any of those I guys. I completely agree. Which is really weird to say. Um, but that is kind of the first thing that pops off. It's just this team at this point, I really feel like there's six guys, maybe seven. Um really that you can count on as kind of consistent contributors. I do yeah. tend to think that death is kind of uh, overrated and uh, in college basketball, because I think if you put five guys on the floor and they're 19 to 20 years old, I think they're, you know, they can be a good enough shape to, to play 30, 35 minutes and give you enough to win a game. But I, I think that's the thing for me that jumps out more than almost anything else is there's thin margins for this team. Yeah. I mean, and there's thin margins for a lot of teams. I mean, there's there's only like three or four teams, I think, in the nation that can bring their their B, B game against a top 20, 25 team and be all right. Louisville's going to have to bring their A game most nights to win. Um Pretty much every game on their schedule, with the exception of I think Boston College and Notre Dame, that they could they'll have to bring their at least B plus A minus game um, or otherwise a lose. Right. So I mean that's that's kind of the thing that jumps out for me the most. No, I think I I I want to follow up with what you said because I completely agree. But I do think specifically for me, uh, losing Dwayne Sutton, I just I think at this point we kind of see that he's the engine of this team. Right, he is. Um, he is the the guy who makes things go um, for them, and and we saw that we saw that on against Virginia Tech. I think we maybe would have said uh, Jordan Wara a few weeks ago, but I I just think even even not necessarily from a points point of view, um, Dwayne Sutton is if he is rebounding, if he is distributing the ball, um, if he is working hard on defense. Um, the team has an opportunity to to work its way back in. I, I, I mean, think he, he is, he, he, he's, he's the glue the guy who makes things go. Yeah, he's the heart and soul of this team. You have those guys. I think Christian um, Cunningham. I think he's the Christian Cunningham can have a a bad game and Louisville be okay. I think Jordan Wara can have a bad game and be okay. I don't think 
Dwayne Sutton can have a really bad game and then be okay. I think Christian Cunningham can have a bad game and be okay, but I don't think Louisville can be fine with Christian Cunningham playing, you know, 15 minutes in a game. Yeah. Does that make sense? That makes sense. I I think he could have like a, you know, one of eight shooting game, but I think they need him out there because I don't think you're going to, at this point, see a consistent enough Darius Perry to play point guard and to guard and keep his mentality in it the entire game without getting sloppy with the ball. I mean, you know, it it depends, I guess, with Darius. If he comes out and he's has some success early, then who knows? It could be a spark. But and generally speaking, I I do think that he's he's maybe not the most valuable. I will agree with you on Sutton, but I would say Cunningham's right there. No, I think I think you're right. And and I, I, you know, I do recall even um, Louisville when they were playing UNC, there was a period time where CC came out of the game in the first half, he just needed a breather and things just went bad to worse. And, um, and that can happen. I, and, and and I, I agree with you there. I just, I think that I almost feel like I'd rather, man, it's, it's tough. Like, I feel like those two guys, you're right. They are kind of neck and neck. Now I'm kind of like rethinking what I said. (laughs) Um, yeah. And, and I also think a, a thing that we should point out that Louisville, it just, I'm even like just kind of poking around and looking and seeing, I mean, has Louisville, I feel like all the times that Louisville loses, it's when they're not scoring very well from the three. Yeah. So, and I think, you know, obviously Patino teams have always been really good from three. Um, I mean, Louisville's, they're only 80th and three point percentage. Um, according to Ken Palm fourth in the ACC. So I, I think that's, it's gone a lot better in ACC play. They're shooting 37.5% from three. So they're fourth in the ACC in that. Um, but yeah, I think when the threes aren't hitting, like, I mean, I'm looking, you know, they shot 32% against North Carolina uh, from three against Pittsburgh against Pittsburgh. They shot, well, I mean, yeah, they shot 25% against Pittsburgh and then Kentucky. I know they shot terribly. So it just, it seems like that's always a problem. That's yeah. when, when the threes aren't hitting. Yeah. 25% against Kentucky as well. So that's, that's a, you know, obviously you got to make shots to win the games. Like you, you don't need us to tell you that, but I think when Louisville is really struggling from the three point line, when, they're shooting less than 30%. That's a recipe for the disaster for this team. Yeah, I mean, I think to an elect lesser extent, yes. But I, I think Louisville has looked their best when they score in bunches. Right. Um, so that's kind of just like a, a byproduct of that. Uh, I mean, Fair. Jordan Awara will come up and, you know, Louisville will be in the middle of like a six or seven or run and Jordan Awara will come up and just take a three. That's kind of ridiculous, but he's, he's made a, a made a living off of just yeah. hitting some of those ridiculous shots to be quite honest with you. I mean, Louisville has been really good at that. Actually, they've been good at that for the past couple of years. Um, and I mean, it was Ryan McMahon against Virginia tech. Um, North Carolina, you didn't really see that much because they kind of controlled it from the beginning, but they had a few spurs against Michigan State where they, they just did the, you know, the 6-0 run and then they, they go scoreless for, you know, two to three minutes of and course. then they pop up another 6-0 run. So, I mean, Louisville's been really good at that this year. Um, and I, I do think threes are a part of that, but yeah. I, I think that's just kind of a more bad product than anything. Yeah, it does feel like this team is is sort of a boom, boom team. They're very spurty, yeah. They're very, they'll go on a little run and, and it's really fun when things go like that 
and and then it's really difficult when you see the offense sputtering. And that's sort of what happened against UNC is they they were handing the ball off a lot. Um, it's just things felt odd in the half court. And I wonder sometimes, I don't know if that was, you know, going back to, I don't know if that was sort of a decision by Mac to sort of slow down UNC because they're an athletic team, but it's, it's you, it definitely, it definitely felt like when Louisville was working slowly in the half court, when the ball wasn't zipping around, uh, that it was a real issue. And that's something that didn't happen. I mean, in Virginia tech, they were able to really move the ball very effectively and, um, that it worked out really well. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I've just, I've just been getting used to this team. You know, the deficiencies are more going to be about defense and offense because it's been the exact opposite for the last 15 years. Right. Um, so yeah. I guess that's part of the reason why the North Carolina game kind of felt so weird because for a lot of the times when they were able to set up in the half court, the defense was fine. Um, it was just, you know, taking bad shots in the offense. It was allowing North Carolina to get in transition. So yeah, we can, we can kind of move on, but yeah, just, it would be interesting. I, and, you know, just kind of wanted to touch on these next few games really quick of Florida state, which, um, is on Saturday at Florida state. Uh, I kind of joked that I wasn't really scared of Florida state, um, Dude, last I, episode. Um, I know, I know nothing about Florida state. I realize that I've seen them twice and feel like I know exactly who they are. And I think Wolf is going to win. <laughs> that, that's they, my that's my uh, expert analysis there. Yeah, they're not all that great on offense. Um, they they sh- they have very quick possessions. They um, they don't turn the ball over, or they do turn the ball over a whole lot, which I think is good for Louisville. I think they thrive when they're able to get points off turnovers. Um, but they also foul a lot, which I think is why, especially I'm, I'm looking to Louisville here. They're like two, they're 299th in uh, free throws attempted uh, over field goals attempted. So that's really high. That's, you know, 30 or almost 40% of um, their opponents are, sh- are shooting 40% of their opportunities at the stripe, which is insanity. And they haven't really played. I mean, they've played these past four games are on a four game winning streak. They beat Clemson, Miami, Georgia tech and Syracuse at Syracuse, which is kind of, that's kind of They rode over Syracuse last night who I can't even begin to figure out anymore. Yeah. That was really kind of significant. Um, but they also lost to Pittsburgh and Boston college, which is weird. I, I don't yeah. know. Um, so we'll see how that goes. I think Louisville should be able to take care of that. And then of course the big game on Tuesday against Duke, which I don't, I don't know, man. I don't know. Just, just go and enjoy things. I don't want yeah, and, be, I, and, be, I, and be loud. Don't, don't have any aspirations beyond that. Yeah. I'm sure they'll, I'm sure they'll win. They're wearing, they're wearing some kind of interesting jerseys. I think that's a blackout. Um, so there's your, your next opportunity for the team to not be a part of a marketing push there. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, we'll move on. Cause this is uh this is also a big football day. Uh, Chris and I noted recruiter recruiting guys, recruiting. We're going to talk about some recruiting. It's National Sign Day, Chris. Yay! I wish I could. Wish I could try to be excited, but it, it's try really to be excited. By, okay, we'll we'll talk about it a little bit here. Louisville, uh, Louisville coach Scott Satterfield announced a 16 player recruiting class this afternoon. Uh, a stat that uh, from Keith Wynn that I think uh, kind of sums up how I feel in general about this: uh, the class finished ahead of the 2014 and 2016 classes in average player rating. The average is 0.8499, and the composite 
composite. I'm guessing that's 247's composite. Yeah. Uh, also better than 2010 and 2012. So what he's saying is they were higher than both Petrino and Strong's first classes, which, you know, if that's the bar you want to, you kind of want to compare Satterfield's team to. Um, and it looked, like Satterfield is kind of saying that he wants to be done with recruiting by the end of this year for the 2020 class, which I thought was really interesting. Um, I don't know if that'll happen. It seems like uh, there will, I, I bet there'll be a few additions slash departures during spring ball. They're kind of oh yeah. Things. There's always going to be someone that leaves in spring ball. So I'm guaranteed they're going to have places to, you know, kind of, kind of grabs it. Yeah. But Chris, I mean, I'm not going to purport to be a recruiting expert. I think uh, the one that, people were kind of excited about is uh this four-star guy um he is i think his name is griffin right um you know so a four-star um four-star d line uh which is you know you definitely you you want four stars yeah jamie is griffin excuse me um no, I mean no, that's not that's not his name. I apologize. It's Jadarian Boykin. Uh, okay, yeah. Four star line. Uh, Jamie Griffin was the running back who chose Georgia Tech. Um, he had some family at Georgia Tech, so it seemed like he. That's kind of why he chose Georgia Tech over Louisville, Auburn, and NC State. So yeah, Louisville I think had two four star recruits, which is cool. I'm, I mean, we're all down for that. Um, but yeah, I mean, we we sort of have some takes on being recruiting guys. I'm not going to act like I've watched all these dudes' huddle accounts. You know, I don't I don't know <laughs> enough about recruiting to really make a um, really make an educational guy. Like, I'm not going to say that this this dude Boinkin is the next. You know, it's not the next. Uh, you know, he's not the next Elvis Dumerville. Like, I'm not. If you're yeah, saying, that I mean, there, I don't believe you. I'm sorry. There, there are plenty plenty guys that you can you can find that will give you breakdowns of these people. We'll worry about analyzing them when they when they put on the Louisville jersey and you know they're kind of playing. Um, it was exciting for me to see Louisville go and get a lot of defensive and offensive linemen because a stat that I heard before the before the kind of recruiting cycle started was that Louisville had more wide receivers on the roster than offensive linemen and defensive linemen can buy which to me is just, I mean, That's at this funny. point, it's just a amazing. It, it was absolute coaching malpractice that was going on here. And I don't need to tell you that. It, there's just another stat to, to kind of solidify that. But look, man, um, I, there were a few things that kind of like gave me some optimism for, right. to be quite frank with you, for one of the one of the first times for Scott Satterfield, and the coolest thing for me was to see that they were going after guys that fit their system. They weren't just going after guys to to you know put up some numbers because a lot of coaches do that when they come into a system. But they were going after guys in, that had App State offers. These were guys that they knew and that guys that they thought that would. have have success in their system and they looked at the star writing and you know they said you guys don't think they're talented that's fine but we know these guys we think they'll fit in our system and we want to go get them and that that encouraged me honestly completely agree and 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 i think that's that's always been the selling point on uh for satterfield in relation to recruiting is he's just a great evaluator of talent even when the guys are two stars or three stars um so we'll see. I, you know, it's, I, I was, re, you know, kind of the vibe. It seems 
Like is they're filling the needs that they, they, they filled the needs that they had that fit their system. And I think it's definitely a good day for Louisville football, you know, just kind of judging by the response from people who I believe are actual recruiting experts and not the people who purport to be ones on Twitter. Um, And it will be interesting to see how things work out um, going into spring. But I, I, you know, I I don't think personally, I've never really seen national signing day as more uh, as anything other than kind of just a, a, a a marking point, a marking point in the off season. Um, I mean, we're not, I'm sorry. We're not Bama. We're not, we're not Georgia. We're not, we don't need to watch ESPNU to see some kid from Louisiana decide if he's going to be a tiger, if he's going to be a member of the crimson tag. I like, I like like how you said the tiger again. Can I get that one more time? Oh, tiger. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I mean, if if, if Louisville's going to sign like a a top 10 class, we can, I'll be happy to go guy for guy for you, break them down and their skills and their weaknesses, but we're just not going to to do that at this point though honestly one of the more encouraging things that heard today was court dennison was on with a uh, market mark ennis of uh 93.9 in the ville a shout out to those guys over there but um right. he was on with him and he said that they're doing this thing now which is uh player-led practices oh wow. and i'm just like <laughs> what <laughs> you talk about a coaching you know a culture change um, yeah, he, he said they were doing some player-led practices just for the summer, letting guys kind of dictate, you know, what they thought they needed, what they thought they needed to go through. And that was part of, you know, the trust system and everything else. And I thought that was a pretty cool thing. That's fascinating. Uh, I, I mean, it's not something that's going to continue throughout the, you know, the spring, once yeah. again, the spring, fall, fall. But just for some summer football, I thought that was that was really cool. Those are the types of things you can do when you're doing lift, see, lifting season, you know? Yes. Yeah. And it's fun for the players and he's got to win this this team you know like yeah it's one thing to come in and have a great press conference and have a great first speech to the squad uh it's another thing for them to like you when you're in there you know and just by the nature of uh of a regime change um you'll have some guys who feel disillusioned just because maybe their role is changing it's not their fault it's not satterfield's fault it's just the way things change a little bit um so I, I, I agree with you, you know, changing this culture is definitely what this is all about. And, um, you know, it's always good. It's always good to have opportunities like these national sign day parties where the fans show up. Um, you know, the, that's, that's great. And it's an opportunity for fans to get to know the coaching staff, but you know, a lot has been made about this coaching staff and Louisville fans really buying into Satterfield. I don't think he and his squad have done anything today to dissuade me from thinking that it was a great hire. Um, yeah. So far, I mean, I, th- there's one thing I want. I want clarity on the quarterback and position. Yeah. And when yeah. I get that, I think we can go forward and analyze this team more effectively. And it seems we, like, yeah, go ahead. I, I mean, and, until we get that, we're, we're kind of just, you know, talking. To, to, to kind of talk about football yeah. because it's it's necessary to talk about. It's exciting. Uh, they, they, you know, they got 16 guys. That's a good number. Uh, it's better than having eight guys. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that kind of is what it is. Yeah. And it's, uh, and I think that quarterback controversy is hopefully going to be solved by May. Um, And it seems like there's a few guys still out there. Josh Jackson from Virginia Tech. I was really interested in them looking at James Blackman from Florida State. Uh, who uh, chose Florida State over Louisville. Um, and he was the backup there and was going to transfer. But of course, all this business with DeAndre Francois rightfully being um, 
dismissed from the Florida State football team after some um, evidence came out that he was, uh, you know, being a not good person to his uh, girlfriend. So I'm totally fine with James Blackman going back to Florida State and getting that opportunity. I, you know, completely get that for him. Uh, But yeah, that's that's definitely the biggest question for Louisville at this point. So we don't have to talk about it now, but I am fascinated with the Florida State football program and and everything that's gone on there in the last five years. Yeah. that i i completely agree and um that's that's a summer topic because uh that's a yeah that's that's one i think we got to bring someone in to to talk about because that's just yeah i mean yeah we don't we don't have enough of a uh, oh oh, no no expertise to talk about it but yeah um, i just want to get some insight from some people from florida state because i think i i don't know and you're you're talking about you know you're talking about discipline you're talking about race you're talking about all the you know the business of amateurism all this business years and years of it years and years of it that's fun that's a that's an interesting conversation Uh, um but nonetheless we move on national signing day has has come and passed uh put your fax machines away they can i don't need them for another year i guess now (laughs) um but yeah shout no real quick shout to all the people who pretend and who act like they're recruiting experts on twitter i just listen i I mean want to be a part of the conversation yeah, I mean, you gotta you gotta find your your role somewhere. So, and, and I say this facetiously because I've done it before. You know, I, I've, I've we, been we've all guy. done it. I've been that guy. I've been like, oh man, oh, look at his tape. He looks he's he looks like he pancakes guys. You know, like yeah. I don't know what I'm talking about. I've I mean, it, it's it's really like from just like a tape view. It's easier to look at some dude that like a basketball player. I applaud the guys that do the football thing. Cause there's no way I could do it. Yeah. Like I legitimately think I could probably look at, you know, some basketball tapes and tell like if the guy's like decent or, you know, kind of his ceiling, I'm not going to tell you that I'm some kind of expert, but I think I, I could look at some tape and like make a reasonable assessment. I couldn't even make a reasonable assessment with football. No, I, th- I think I think most people I, th- I agree with that. I think most people who understand basketball could do that way better than they could even. You know, I feel like I've watched both sports a similar amount, the same amount of time. Um, definitely, definitely don't think that I could uh, I can assess how good a three star cornerback is. It just that's yeah. just not happening for me. Yeah. Can we talk about um, Chris Mack and interviews and yes, controversies and people being upset across the Commonwealth over the past a lot of fake hours. stuff? The past 48 hours have been one for controversy in the Commonwealth. Uh, both red and blue have experienced controversies. I think we'll, we'll start with Chris Mack. Uh, we don't need to we don't need to rehash this, but uh, Chris Mack, you know, sort of didn't approach a halftime interview. I mean, outward facingly the best with uh, I'm, I'm losing her name right now. And I. I, I <laughs> Uh, oh, I was going to say Holly Rowe, but because no. he did the promo, Allison, um, Allison Williams, Allison Williams. Yeah, Allison. it was. So, yeah, he didn't approach that interview too great. Chris, what was your what was your initial reaction sort of as the interview was happening? I kind of want to see if we have the same one. I just don't care <laughs> that much. Like if my I, I, be honest with you, like if my I thought the questions were I thought the third question was ridiculous. I thought the first two questions were pretty much normal for any like sideline reporter. But if my coach wants to respond to a halftime interview a little shitty, a yeah. little bit like a kind of an asshole, it just doesn't bother me. I can get why it bothers other people, but that's 
my coach. Yeah. If they're winning, he can do whatever he want within reason between halftime interviews. I do want to talk about your boy from Sports Center, and we'll get to that in just a second. But what was your reaction? I think when he sort of answered the question, when he answered the question about the officials, I didn't. Um, I kind of was like, man, you know, I was like, I get it. He's upset. And he was, he was mad about the officials several times before sort of during that run that, uh, that Virginia tech went on to kind of end the, um, end the half. And then of course it ended on the, um, the Stephen Enoch three. So I think he was a little happier, but I think whenever you get asked about officials like that, that's just a trap for coaches. I think they know that it's like, we can't, they can't insult the officials, especially mid game. You know, they can't do that in in that format. So I kind of brushed that aside, but when he kind of ended it with, they're one of the best teams in the country. I was like, all right, you kind of sound like a jerk now. I was like, fool me once. Uh, you know, but I mean, I don't, I don't don't think it's like, I don't think it's a huge deal. I agree with you. I don't think it's a huge deal, but I get where a person like Buster only who we're going to talk about here in a second. And the other guy, Randy um, from ESPN, uh, they, I get where if they're watching that, just kind of, you know, looking over something and they hear that kind of tone and reaction, that's an issue for a random person who wants to be offended about something, you know? Yeah. I mean, this is totally one of those things where it's uh, I'll put on red, colored glasses for this one if that's calipari doing it i'm gonna say look at that ass so if it's mag doing it i'm gonna say that's my guy and i do <laughs> think i do think that like and we'll go you know buster only brought it up you know he 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 said that it was he said it was bad for recruiting which was really weird because i don't think that's like true in any way shape or form i don't need a guy uh, from baseball to tell me about recruiting so hey man but he uh he covered college basketball for uh for 10 years, he tweeted, um, what was, but then he, you know, in just the 1970s in the 1970s, but like, yeah. you know, we're, you know, he ends up bringing up John Calipari as like a, a, a thing, but I do think as like a, a, a better example of a coach who isn't going to act like a jerk during a halftime interview. But I do think John Calipari is, he's so affable that I've seen him like kind of respond really weird to questions, but it comes off as like, Oh, just goofy. That's goofy. John Calipari, you yeah. know? That's I mean, uh, that's it, it, that's Cal just being goofy Cal and, and and kind of being mad at his team. And I don't think Chris Mack kind of came off that way. It came off like this guy's a jerk. Not I've like always this guy's mad said, I've always kind of said with Cal Perry that he chose his second best profe- profession because his best profession would be being a politician Completely. for those exact reasons, because he's so good at that, man completely agree and he knows and he knows all the sideline reporters and he knows how they how and they know him so i i i think that that was kind of bs just because it, it kind of came up that way and i don't know it was definitely not a controversy i'm the, glad to see he, he apologized just because you want to nip those things in the butt man i just you don't you don't want those kinds of things um yeah I, apparently I, I, apparently I, I, w- I didn't really want him to apologize, but, but I do think I, the one thing that was really funny to me was, okay. So this guy, Randy Scott, I think it was, was like, um, I think that's this guy's name. Yeah. Randy Scott was like, this is what happens when you laugh and glorify Popovich for years. You create a generation of far less accomplished coaches who think this is okay. When really it's rude and unoriginal. And like, come on, dude, don't go dude, back. My whole thought process was with that, though. So why do you do it? 
you you glorify Popovich every day if that's how you truly exactly. feel. So why are you on that medium? The yeah, they do it every day. It's it's you know it's kind of a joke every time Popovich does it. It's let's do a two minute segment about him. But that's so, also that's I also think like the Popovich thing is like the dude just gets mad when you ask him like you like you ask him like oh how do you feel how do you feel about uh about what Demar Derozan Rosen is doing this half and he says he's doing good and just like it doesn't say anything like that's that's a different type of question to me than oh you didn't seem happy at the officials Chris Mack can't he can't say the officials are trash he can't respond that way that's a different kind of question to me and that's why I don't I think you're comparing apples and oranges in that situation it was funny to hear um, I've heard Jeff Wallace talk about the officiating a few times but he actually went into uh, to kind of detail about when he got fined oh that was, that was by the officials, but how they sent it, they sent it, they sent it to him like like in the mail, like it's yeah, like a do- do- it's like a donation. And <laughs> I just thought that was hilarious. But it, we we saw what happens when when a coach does uh, complain about the officiating. Yeah, uh, so that was uh, that was controversy number one. That was the Louisville's controversy, um, but we saved the best one for last. In my opinion, and that's uh, that's our old pal Jay Billis versus the Calipari family. And uh, you know, if you're not aware of this one, I think maybe some Louisville fans aren't. So I can kind of rehash. Uh, there was an article that came out for the Oregonian, I think, on Monday uh, about corruption in college basketball, and it it was about this guy, and I think his name is TJ something. Um, and there's not very uh, Gassanola. TJ Gasnola. Yeah. yeah Gasnola. So there's not many pictures of this TJ guy who worked for Adidas and, and helped funnel money to, uh, Brian Bowen's dad. Um, so there's definitely, there's not a lot of pictures of this guy. And so the Oregonian happened to use a picture of John Calipari, uh, Calipari, even though he was not in the article at all. He's not mentioned. It just was, I, and, and when the article opened up, I was like, Oh, Hey, it's Cal. Like, that sort of just was like, this guy is an insider in college basketball. It didn't strike me as this guy's associated with Cal Perry, but Kentucky fans being how Kentucky fans are, were, um, not pleased that he, you know, that, that, uh, <laughs> that he shared the article. So a gentleman named, uh, Brock Steele is that actual name tweeted at him, said, do better. Great, Jay Billis, great link name. the story. And Jay Billis responded, read the article or have someone read it to you. The Oregonian is not out to get you. But that was taken by, I think, Megan Calipari, who's uh, uh, Cal's uh, one of Cal's daughters, as like a slight and a sexist response. And she was like, oh, way to be sexist to Jay Billis. And then uh, Cal's wife got involved and posted a Instagram of trash cans referring to Jay Billis. And I, we just we jumped the shark so quick. And Jay Billis had to go on to uh, KSR, Kentucky Sports Radio, uh, to really clear things up. Is uh, <clears throat> And everyone just, of course, hopping on all the Kentucky fans like, oh, Jay Billis. Yeah, he's a Duke guy, loves Duke, hates Kentucky. And, and Dude, like, but, you know, you know, the uh, sorry to interrupt you, but no, the Duke, please. The, the Duke Kentucky thing is one angle of this that's hilarious is that there's this little like fraction of Kentucky fans that don't feel like the apology was kind of genuine because Kentucky, Kentucky sports radio is who had him on. 
Yeah. And Matt Jones is also a Duke graduate. So he thought they were just catering to him, which Uh makes this thing so much better. And and the best part. Yeah, that's that's a funny angle. And then it's also there's another angle, Chris. And I just I laughed out loud. I tweeted it out. Um, I am reading from the KSR article. Uh, The snark. Billis directed to the BBN masses is lingering from the quote controversy end quote after the Kansas game when Billis's 94 feet segment featured Kansas's Devin Dotson instead of a UK player. Some fans were furious after receiving plenty of quote unreasonable online backlash. He was prepared to respond with snark. Dude, it's, it's utterly ridiculous. You guys are mad. You guys have the number one game game on the Saturday on, you know, on this huge Saturday in college basketball. And you're mad about a segment where the dude literally talks to another player for 15 seconds. Yeah. I mean, you may very well have the best team in college basketball. And this is what you're angry about. But I, you, you know, the funniest thing about this to me is that two things. One, the demographic of Kentucky fans, I'm not going to pretend that they're going to be synthetic to people that are making sex sexist comments. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and secondly, they're also probably one of the leading kind of demographic that's going to be all about some clickbait articles. So I just kind of yeah. find it funny that they're they're recognizing that from a totally different spectrum and that makes me laugh really hard. It was yeah, man. It it's and listen, you know, this is just a subsegment of Kentucky fans and every fan. No, I mean it, it's it's not crazy. all of them. It, just, it's just no, it's yeah, it's different just, with just them as a, because they a, they make up such a large fraction of you know kind of Twitter, and uh, you know it's like I told our buddy Nick Roush, it's the gift and the curse of yes, Big Blue Nation because it, it is. They're also the same type of crowd that'll you know go two hundred miles and fill up stadiums, but this is this is the the negative side of it yeah and they're the same crowd that will show up to a game uh at home and uh where and bring a uh uh we want tennessee sign in this <laughs> Tennessee. <laughs> so it is it, it you know i mean louisville fans they have their idiots they have their guys um but I just I enjoyed this, and it, it was even going on this morning. There was more Bill. Bills was sniping with someone else this morning. I won't say who. Uh, that's what I heard, and I just can't even believe that. I, why I'm, is this still going? It's so unnecessary. And um, yeah, and, and listen, I I I I thought instantly of the um, the time that they posted a picture picture of Calipari as a baby on the front page of the sports right. section, the Curry journal, which remains one of my favorite Kentucky controversies of all time. It's just, it's brilliant to think about, which was a deserved, um, a deserved anger. I think, um, I, I kind of give Kentucky fans credit there because the article wasn't meant to be that way. I, um, I know when it was that the, the writer at the time, it was Kyle Tucker, I believe back then. Yep. Um, was like, but hey, was we, a, let, we let you down a, on this one. Go ahead. It was a Tim Sullivan call. And when was it? Okay. Okay. So I, I think we should have Tim Sullivan on the podcast. Oh God. Okay. That's, you can't just drop that on me here. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I've been thinking about that one. I think 53 minutes in. Let's just have Tim Sullivan on the podcast. I, I think we would think we should do a completely serious interview and, um, and just have him on the podcast. We'll oh, see what we can God. do. 
All right, we'll, we'll, we'll cross that bridge. We'll, we'll talk about that one. Um, but I will, you know, I think that's all we had today, Chris. And I wanted to end with a special segment. I think we're going to try and do this, um, poking a little more fun at our blue friends. Uh, I call it the best of KSR commenter. I'm, I'm totally down with a little, uh, let's get a started. riff on EFT commenter, uh, a good Twitter personality guy. Um, so I've got three comments here, Chris. Uh, do you want to read one? I know you have them in front of you. Do you want me to read one? You read one. Yeah, uh, we can go one, one, one. Uh, okay. I, I can read the first one. Um, so the first one comes from Michael. These are B. real. We, we need to say these are real. Yeah, comments these are these are real comments from the Jay um, Billis apologizes for Twitter spat with Calipari's. Um, yeah, and we're, we haven't even sourced out the multiple articles. This yeah, is all. So this is just article. one. This is all one article. So. So this was uh, 12.52 p.m. on February 5th. Michael B. It is, quote, Jay used to be my fave commentator because of his broad understanding of the game in the NCAA. Good start. Hate to, hate to say it, but Dan Dockage is every bit the basketball man of Jay. That's that's flame right there. That's um, just, I couldn't take it. I couldn't well, take well, it. We can continue going, though. Dan is just a hillbilly version of Jay Billis. Therefore, I like Dan better. <laughs> I haven't read this yet. Um, <laughs> it's fun to listen to how accurate he describes situations in game. He should probably be Indiana's next coach. This is the truth. Sorry to the Dockage haters. I'm a little concerned that one is fake. Um, because no, that's just ridiculous. <laughs> there's, there's. It could be. I, I do notice like trends in like these type of comments where this is the truth. Yeah. Well, you said that. Now it's completely true. I, I was worried there for a second, but yeah, I just thought that was funny. Just the idea, you know, let alone a Kentucky fan, but any college basketball fan who believes that Dan Dockage is a better commentator than Jay Billis, or believes that Dan Dockage can be a head shoo. coach right now. Oh shoot. I, I, I can't. Okay. Uh, here's the number two from uh, Cats Are Running, uh, February 5th, 1148 a.m. Not to be political. I think, <laughs> this is the, I think this is the best one. You know it's a good start. You know it's not to get wild. Not to be political, but the half-hearted apology by Billis reminded me of some of the Hollywood types who, quote, apologized to the Cubcat kids a few weeks ago after branding them as being racist. Regardless of who made the comment by, by Billis was intended for. Comment. I'm sorry, wait, regardless of the comment made by Billis was intended for. Yeah, I think that, that to say anyone to say to anyone that somebody should quote, read it to them end quote was implying he didn't feel they had the ability to read or comprehend his comments. And it wasn't being snarky. He was being judgmental, just own up to it instead of issuing a half-assed apology. Just What's, an explosion. There's so many things about that, but I do wonder how many times Matt Jones has commented someone to read the article, which makes that whole thing more beautiful to me. Just this. And this reminds me of the gentleman who blamed the failures of Kentucky basketball on liberalism, yeah. which is like um, not that I'm a loyal KSR list. Listener, but uh, that's my favorite KSR call of all time. I have a few that I've heard. I listen to from time to time. Um, that's that's one of the great ones. Yeah. Uh, that's uh, yeah. So the shouts of cats are running. Um, 
being being uh, potential racism compared to a guy being snarky. I, I don't I, I didn't take that leap with you, my guy, but good, good, good on you. Yeah, I mean, if liberalism is the, the fall of Kentucky basketball, this is this is just another great one in that line. I, oh, I yeah. think I think anything that gets uh uh, political and racism together with Kentucky basketball is a great comment. You always, so, you know, it's glorious when they start with not to be political. Like that's just, you know, like instant. I so honest, I saw it and I read it. I was like a hundred percent, just copy paste. <laughs> All right. On to the third and final. The final. One. This is uh Jahan C two U K Y. I think that's right. If it's not, I apologize. But um, I yeah, think I that's. Think that, I want to yeah. say that's like uh, they're referring to some player specifically. I don't know. C two U K Y. Um, <laughs> quote any form where I can voice this complaint. So I don't know if he's just saying that. <laughs> I'm going to say this wherever I can. Yeah. Um, Let me take this opportunity (laughs) to roll out this take I've got that I love to roll out. (laughs) I've been storing this one, so I'm just going to put it anywhere. That Billis is an awful commentary I will take. Uh, He is boring, complains too much, talks about his thoughts way too much, which if you're a commentary, you should probably talk about your thoughts. Um, Is caught up in watching the game more than being a color commentary. He is awful for college basketball and should not be allowed to do primetime games until he gains more experience. Experience. The man's been doing this for 15 years. He sucks at broadcasting, period. End quote. There's a lot there to unpack. I, I do want to point out also that the that comment they said commentary, not commentator. So like yeah. Chris was reading that phonetically how they wrote it. What's hilarious is that's like the fourth point there. I know. I know. Yeah, I mean you shouldn't talk about your thoughts if you're a commentary, I guess. Uh, <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> oh man, Chris. Yeah. That's a, we'll, we'll, we'll try. keep that one going. We'll keep that one going. That's our first segment. <laughs> Episode 10. We introduced our first regular segment. Um, yeah, that's, that's fun. That's fun. Yeah. Uh, any, any last things before we wrap this up, Chris? Uh, free 21 Savage. Free 21 Savage. Free twenty one savage. Uh, I'm guessing you believe Louisville will uh, win on Saturday, lose on Tuesday. Yeah, I mean, I, I'll go with the win over Florida State just because, <laughs> like I said, uh, Florida State's been pretty wildly inconsistent. Louisville's been a little yeah. bit more consistent than them, and then you know I'll go with the L against Duke because Duke is Duke. Don't yeah. have any grand illusions that Louisville win that game. And obviously. We'll be partying, probably do a podcast that moment, probably a little intoxicated if they're winning. I so. completely <laughs> agree with you. Um, yeah. And then finally, uh, would be remiss if I didn't ask you, does the Anthony Davis trade happen before? Does, tomorrow? The Anthony, does it happen before the trade deadline? Yeah, tomorrow at 3 p.m. trade deadline. Uh, I'm going to say no. Okay. Um, I think the trade is going to end up happening with not the Lakers. I think I agree with you. The more that kind of happens, I think the, uh, it seems like things just went a little too far on the Lakers side. And I don't think that's necessarily their fault. I think they sort of were coerced and it seems more and more teams are not interested in trading with, uh, the Lakers. And I, there's been a lot of buzz today about, uh, Davis potentially being cool with going to the Knicks, which I'm cool with. Uh, we'll talk about that another time. Uh, but, 
Uh, I have a question. Everyone. One, no, go one ahead, more go question ahead. for you for okay. just to get something on record. And I'll probably okay. ask you in like three months from now. Okay. It's uh, February 6th. Do you think uh, Kevin Durant ends up as a Nick? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes. I think he's gone. The, I, what's convinced me, honestly, since the we haven't talked since the Porzingis trade, I could talk 30 minutes about that. So. Well, I can't even start. Um, I think uh, I think the fact that he hasn't talked to the press since the Porzingis trade has been the loudest response to me on that. And okay. uh, there were some guesses, and um, it seems it it just seems like his agent Rob Kleinman is already positioning himself to 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 join the the, the Knicks organization. Um, there's been a lot of whispers about that, and even seen a few people on Twitter who tend to know some of these types of things point at it. And um, I, I think as of right now, I think Durant joins. I don't know if Kyrie comes. Um, I could see the Knicks trading. If they end up getting the Zion pick, I could see them trading for Anthony Davis as crazy as that sounds. I could see that happening um, because I think they have enough assets there. If you trade for, if you trade Zion and maybe Knox for Davis, like I feel like, the Pelican and maybe another first. The Pelicans have to take. Yeah, that. I mean, if you know who that pick is, I, I think yeah. that's enough. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I like we'll, those. I like those though. We'll, we'll have to do those. Uh, just, just quick. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think that's good. So, uh, thank you, Chris. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening to yet another episode of What High School Did You Go To? Uh, go Cards, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>